It's Tuesday, May 17th. This is Real Talk. Ryan Jesperson in front of the microphone. More importantly, John Hicks behind the controls. Oh, you. Oh, you. Oh, yeah. You look, you look rested today or something. I'm feeling good today. Which is odd because not that you don't always look great, but, you know, you just look like... <laughs> This I, is a high-functioning guy. I got some sleep last night. For people who don't a, know, this guy. I was, uh, you know what I was doing is I was starting to go through the new Kids in the Hall on Amazon. So did I last night. And I was like, oh. And uh, Carrie so says to me, my wife says to me, because she's about eight and a half months pregnant, which yeah. I think some people know if you follow her on Instagram and all that kind of jazz. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm right now at the stage where you just want to have that extra. You want to just make sure you're saying things like, is there anything else I can help with? Is there anything else that you need done? Yeah. Because uh, it's to that stage where you know she's just walking through the house and all of a sudden you just hear and you're like what's up she's like it's good it's good so she said yeah well you could have a bit of a i have these late night laundry folding parties she said you could have a laundry (laughs) folding party i said i will and so i like to do that in front of the tv so i tee up kids in the hall and the next thing it's it's home run after home run so funny after home run and uh and i got to the beginning of episode four Uh and it started and i went now i'm turning it off and I made a very difficult decision, very so I, unbelievable. So I was so I was in bed before four a.m. So maybe that, you, you and you're how, picking up on it. You know how I know? Because uh. when I text you about prep, it's usually like between twelve a.m. and two a.m. And mm. I texted you at like twelve ten, and he didn't answer. I'm like, wow. Ooh. He's, he's getting some yeah. shut eye. Well, at that point, I might have just been enthralled with the kids in the hall. But still, uh, yeah, no, I, unbelievable. And a lot of people wonder when you try to revive something that's been, you know, gone or defunct for quite some time. Kids in the hall have been off the air, so to speak, yeah. since the early early to mid 90s. And and they came back and I just feel like not only did they not miss a beat with their I mean, the, the incredible talent that the five of them have and everything. Uh, this is not an ad, by the way. This is, no, this is not, not paid endorsement. This is just, I just think it's incredible. It's its like, I don't know if it's, if you say it's better, you don't need to start saying that. It just, it hit the nail on the head and it feels like they have their finger on the pulse of what's going on today in society. Yeah. And I was, that's what I was worried about. I'm like, are they too old to like relate? To be relevant. But it was, it, it's so good. I, I don't want to say it because I like Saturday Night Live too, but it's better. Because Lauren Michaels, right, created this as well. Yeah. yeah so. Amazing to see him involved in that. Uh, let us know what you think about it. It's uh, great to see you on this Tuesday. Thanks to those of you that are joining us live, those of you that are joining us later. We have a great show in store. Before we get to Dr. Jared Wesley, political scientist, feature writer, Jana Pruden, we got some cool stuff to take a look at today, including uh, there's there's a tweet that's that's got a bunch of people. They don't know how to respond to it. The two Jason Kennys, their they're, they're, <laughs> they're stars aligned, their worlds collided in uh, the American capital, Washington. DC and uh, I want to show you that too if you haven't yet seen it I'm sure you have this episode of real talk like every single one since we started is presented by our friends at Bitcoin well and of course I told you I had a chance to check in with their team last week specifically Benny who's kind of the he's he's not technically the front door guy but he's the front facing guy if you see them in person in their office in Edmonton they've got one in Calgary too they're continuing to grow their footprint Uh, Benny's the guy you'll talk to. He's got a huge smile, an even bigger beard, and a great understanding of (laughs) cryptocurrency and Bitcoin and everything else. It's a time right now, if you've been paying attention to the value of Bitcoin and a whole bunch of other things like the NASDAQ, where people are starting to, in some circumstances, really seek answers on what the future looks like. Well, nobody knows, but Benny's got some good things to keep in mind. I recommend you talk to him. You find him under the Sponsors tab on our website, ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
All right, first things first, we are uh, 24 hours, no we're not, we're like, uh, what is it, 36, 35 hours live right now away from the uh, game one of the Battle of Alberta, and if you're tuning in from uh, Frankfurt, Germany, or the United Arab Emirates, or uh, Vietnam, or some of the other interesting places we see web hits from, uh, perhaps you'll care more or less about this. It could be hockey fans, this is just real life, the first Battle of Alberta in more than 30 years, so a lot of people are excited, and of course people have been wondering, what are the mayors of these two cities? he's going to do and so you've got Amarjeet Sohi in Edmonton you've got Dr. Jody Gondek down in Calgary and they have come up with a wager they announced it yesterday with a pretty slick looking promotional poster by the way what do you think about this? It's so, got so money. <laughs> oh, well, let's not go down that path. <laughs> what were these political staffers doing putting this garbage together? Uh, the terms of the bet for the two mayors of Alberta's largest cities. Number one, the losing city's council will wear the winning city's uh, gear, the team gear to council, which is, I mean, just going to be amazing to see regardless of who it is. The losing mayor will paint their face in the winning team's colors And number three, the losing team will donate to a cancer foundation in the winning team's city. So I love that. So there you have it, the Battle of Alberta. Uh, Andrew Walker was talking about it yesterday on the Mm -hmm. Hedge podcast. You can check out thehedgepod.com. And I know a lot of people are going to be pretty excited tomorrow night. It's going to be the city. I I see like I I see people driving around with now the flames flags are out in the city here. Because, you know, those, That's those closet Flames fans who are here are like, screw it. Well, they're not closet Flames. What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I don't see flag. I've never seen flag. Now I'm seeing flags on cars for Flames and Oilers at the same time. It's, it's yeah, a thing. It's getting but it's here's, getting where you, here's where you can tell that this is still a Canadian jurisdictional battle is that nobody's <laughs> afraid of having their car windows kicked <laughs> exactly. in. Exactly. Rocking these flags around town. Did you see the video of the guy who took off his... Tampa Bay jersey the second no uh, they eliminated the Leafs in downtown Toronto within the big crowd oh and then he's and then people are chasing him around trying to punch him is no, that was that no, the video you was, saw that was he was in the one. middle of the crowd and he's watching and then Tampa Bay eliminates the Leaf and he just, he just looks around and takes his <laughs> didn't jersey didn't want anything to do with it puts it in his uh, side yeah. pocket unbelievable funny. I'd be curious to know how real talkers are split and the cool part about that is that we've actually uh, in partnership with our good friends our research and strategy partners at Y Station made this our question of the week this week i also like that it bigger picture reflects what we want real talk to be all about because our question of the week last week which we'll get to the results later in the show was about abortion Mm. uh the ones before that we've talked about elon musk's sale of twitter we've talked about a whole bunch of things jason kenny's leadership review uh, dr jared wesley coming up with his survey results in just a minute on the show but this one, we wanted to keep it a little bit more light. Although for some of you, you're be like, you th- this is light? I don't you know, know if My light. allegiance in the Battle of Alberta. You think that's light? You think that's fluff? Uh, if you go to ryanjesperson.com, you click on connect and then question of the week. That's how you can take literally two minutes and swing through it. Let us know where you're at. The NHL playoffs in full swing heading into the second round here. Who have you got going through? Are you a long suffering diehard or a hardcore bandwagon jumper we want to know ultimately you click through you let us know who you think is going to win each round who you think is going to win the cup you know how much memorabilia you've got in your house just some fun questions to give us a sense of where real talkers are at and and of course there are some options too for you to be like yeah i don't really care do you think there's any like you know just you know proud albertans that are kind of on the fence that like you know 
Well, I know that we've got a, a lot Flames of... jersey under their owner's jersey. Well, I'll be curious them. to know where the real talkers from BC and Saskatchewan are chiming in. Yeah. We'll probably have a lot of Canucks fans. We'll have some Jets fans. And then you've always got the Leafs and Habs fans yeah. in Western Canada. You know that. The, the barn fills with them every single time they're visiting. So so you're talking about on the border? Like, let's go live to Invermere and yeah. see what they're... Lloyd Minster would be another <laughs> yeah. interesting one. Alberta, Saskatchewan. Sure. How about the city of Red Deer right now? Uh-huh. Right smack dab in the middle of the QE2. Fernie? Uh, where does uh, <laughs> Dr. Jerry... Wesley land on this the University of Alberta political scientist but but did some schooling we know at the University of, of Calgary have you have you like is this a no-brainer for you do you have your flag planted when it comes to the Battle of Alberta doc well I'm, I'm a Manitoban uh, so I'm a Jets fan first but as you said I spent my um, part of my my schooling down in Calgary but I did my undergrad here at the U of A <laughs> Uh, I have my family's actually split. I have two Oilers fans in our house and we have two uh, Jets fans in our house. We're just honestly hoping for a, a good series, a good long series. Folks that are working in the hospitality industry really need this like a shot in the arm. So longer this goes, I think the more fun everybody's going to have. I think you're so right. And, and a lot of people are hoping that, like you just alluded to, that this playoff run could kick, uh, you know, give give a nice little boost uh, to a couple of downtown cores that have really been waiting a long time for that. It's great to have you back on the show. Let me not take for granted. Uh, let me let me reintroduce you properly so people know who they're hearing from here on the podcast. Uh, University of Alberta political scientist, a member of the Black Faculty Collective, uh, and then you contribute to Common Ground Politics, which has conducted this survey. We'll get you to remind us what Common Ground is, is all about, and these Viewpoint Alberta surveys have been really valuable for a lot of people that are trying to make sense of what they're seeing in the political landscape at commongroundpolitics.ca. People can learn more about this group, its formation, and, and why it's here. But why don't you tee up these results for us, uh, Jared? Yeah, I mean, a Common Ground is a group of about a dozen or so U of A, predominantly faculty, but we have folks all across Western Canada that are trying to help Western Canadians understand who they are. So uh, we uh, like to say that we hold up a mirror to particularly people in Alberta to show who they are, what what are they thinking at any given time. And we've been using Viewpoint Alberta surveys over the last three years to trace people's attitudes about politics in general, about Alberta's place in Confederation, about Alberta's economic future. And from time to time, we, we throw in some questions that are related to events of the day. So that's what we're here talking about. The results of our latest survey, which was in the field throughout the month of April, to try to gain a sense of where Albertans are when it comes to this UCP leadership review. Yeah, I'm grateful you've made yourself available to us. This is, of course, the eve of what we expect to be the release of the results of this survey. So so let's get into this. You, you released it yesterday. People can read along. They can download the PDF. It's nice and convenient for them at commongroundpolitics.ca. The top line on this is essentially that the majority of Albertans think that the United Conservative Party needs to move on from their current leader. So, I mean, obviously, that's the big picture here. Let's comment on that, and then we can start sinking our teeth in. I don't think it should come as a, as a surprise to anyone who's been following Alberta politics, let alone people in the premier's office, that, that more Albertans than not want to see the premier uh, leave his position. It's sitting at about 60%, according to our survey, which matches pretty much his unfavorability ratings, right, which is just a little bit higher. I think where it gets a little bit murky is we, we ask some follow-up questions, uh, not only how should UCP members um, vote in this leadership review, but 
uh, who do you think will act or how do you think it'll actually turn out? Right. Will will Kenny keep his job or, or, or will he be turfed? And only about 47 percent of Albertans actually think that he'll lose this leadership review. So that was the first somewhat surprising finding is that more people think he should leave than expect that he actually will. The, the one that's, I think, most worrying to political scientists, though, is the, the third question we asked, which was how much confidence do you have in the fairness of this process? And only 45% uh, of Albertans said they had um, a great deal of, of confidence in the result of this, of this race, which puts about half of Albertans somewhat skeptical that the results of this race will actually be valid, valid reflection of the way that UCP members had actually voted. So that's, a, a, I think, a bigger hill to climb in, in many ways for the Premier coming out of Wednesday's vote is not only to convince people that you know, he has the authority and popularity among the party to govern, but also that he has the authority given the process that we've just used to keep him on. Does this, I mean, in the context of the allegations around the 2017 leadership review and the fact that the RCMP apparently continues to investigate allegations of malfeasance and ballot box stuffing and everything else with people connected to the premier, the fact that he's governed seemingly without a blip of interruption, uh, interruption despite that RCMP investigation, does, does it matter to a leader like Jason Kenney, whether or not people believe that the results of his leadership review are valid hasn't seemed to bother him in past. I think this is a legitimate question that we need to start asking of our election authorities and by extension, the folks that fund them and provide resources for them, because it is definitely part of the calculus. When political operatives get together and scope out a strategy, we've actually seen it through leaked transcripts um, that, were, that were part of the RCMP investigation. This is part of it. Right, is that it's going to take a long time for them to try to unfurl this, and in the meantime, we'll have already either captured the leadership or we'll have won a, a series of races, and people will move on once the next election is held. And this isn't just confined to conservative parties. Certainly, the Harper government went through the in and out scandal with those kinds of calculations in mind. Some people got their hands slapped, but the party ended up winning the next election, and most Canadians didn't have it on their radar, didn't think it was a priority to, to, to think about during an election campaign. And this, as this RCMP investigation into, you know, the original leadership results and now possible investigation into what's happening um, in this leadership review drag on, it becomes part of that political calculation. Can we get away with it? Right. And if we can, should we push the envelope? And increasingly, we're starting to see political party operatives say, let's push the envelope because it doesn't seem to be much of a risk. This is uh, it's interesting too how this is presented. And, and I do recommend people either, you know, hit pause on the podcast if you're listening to this later or after this conversation, take a look at the full results, about 20 pages worth of nice, easy reading. It's, it's actually quite compelling stuff, interesting stuff. Um, you know, the, one of the takeaways from this is quite obviously that the vote is not just an assessment of the premier's leadership or the premier's tenure to this point, but bigger picture an assessment or, or, or depending on how it winds up, maybe an autopsy on how well this experiment went with regards to unifying conservatives in the province. Yeah, I'm not a historian by training, but I can imagine my historian colleagues in, in decades from now, looking back at this period and wondering whether a united right was kind of the anomaly, a blip uh, in the history of Alberta politics. And perhaps, as we're seeing at the federal level and in national politics, I mean, you try to you try to explain to folks how people as, you know, um, conformist and, and, and folks that, you know, espouse socially conservative views could be in a party with folks that are libertarian and think that everyone should be able to live the way that they want to live. Uh, how, how do you explain the, how those people get along within a single political party? 
right? It's difficult to do other than if you explain to them it's through the route of uh, access to power, that there are some leaders in, in Canadian history that have been able to hold together that coalition, largely by, by uh, uh, you know, appealing to things like local autonomy, appealing to things like libertarianism, small state, let people choose to do what they want and emphasizing things like family and so on as the, you know, the core unit of society. But what we've seen during Jason Kenney's tenure, and this is, is it was partly, I suppose, attributable to his own approach, but partly because of the pandemic, those kinds of approaches leave it leave things to local communities or rely on things like personal responsibility and personal choice. They don't tend to work very well in the face of a global threat like a pandemic. And this is part of the challenge that we've been tracking over time is that uh, the premier seems to want to, to, you know, find the middle ground between those two approaches to hold his party together. But I would argue also, according to our polling, to hold the Alberta community together. And as a result, he's faced backlash from both the left and the right. You've seen it in, in our polls here. Nobody on any part of the spectrum wants the, wants the premier to stay uh, in power, not even people on, on the right side of the spectrum. And this is because he's failed, I think, to find that kind of balance that other leaders across Canada somehow seem to have. And for those of us who, are, who don't live in Ontario, where we're trying to make sense of how Doug Ford, who ostensibly seems to have been taking many of the same steps that Jason Kenney has, right, could, could now be sailing to a majority victory. And yet somehow Jason Kenney wasn't able to. Largely, I think that's attributable to this, to this strange amalgam of folks in his caucus that, that want different things. And he's, he's been unable to balance it. There's not really an, an indication, or is there maybe, maybe you pick up on one, that there's a sense that there's an heir apparent, though, is there? I mean, if you had this rising star in the party that was difficult to ignore, uh, this would have a whole new context. But, but right now, I think probably one of the arguments that Premier Kenny has been subtly making uh, is that, uh, you know, choose me because I'm the least worst of the options, right? You don't want to see what the political landscape looks like if I'm not the guy in charge. How, how is that relevant to your perception of these results? If you look historically, most leaders don't depart office as the result of a leadership review, mm. right? They see the writing on the wall early. It's usually by by virtue of uh, some kind of an internal, you know, we, we call it, we use the term coup. Uh, it's, it's a bit overblown, but in, in Canadian circles, a coup of leadership, right? Where there's an heir apparent that mobilizes forces like Paul Martin did with, with Jean Chrétien, for example, or, or like folks with, within the Conservative Party uh, here in Alberta did with Ralph Klein. They, they present themselves as the heir apparent and then the leader has no choice but to, to step down. Now, Ralph's case is actually quite rare where he went to a leadership review, uh, you know, and still got a majority, but not enough in his mind to stay on with, with the moral authority to, to govern within his own party. We're not getting the sense of that at all from Jason Kenney. I don't know whether it's because he doesn't think that there's anybody, you know, who's who has enough support to, to take him over if if, he, if he's if he does choose to stay on or whether it's because he's just genuinely you know, committed to this project that is a united right in Alberta and he doesn't trust anybody else to be at the helm of that of that party for whatever reason. We're, we're going to uh, we're going to hear, uh, you know, results announced on, on Wednesday. And I've said all along, if we're going to hear results, the premier knows he's going to win. So the big question now is how will the rest of the party and how will the rest of Alberta react to his victory? I, th I think what you just said is absolutely bang on. That's the bullseye right there. If, if Albertans are going to hear the results, uh, Jason Kenney already knows that he's winning, um, which which is going to prompt people to think a whole bunch of things. Uh, one of the things that's been interesting to keep an eye on uh 
the relaxing of Alberta's gas tax, the suspension, if you want to call it, of the collection of that gas tax, 14 cents a liter, uh, kicked in, I think it was April 1st, or at least the first week of April. And, and a lot of people went, oh, isn't that convenient? You know, right around the time that people are going to start voting on his leadership, they're going to be saving 14 cents a liter at the pumps. Um, and then there are publicity moves like this one. You saw this one. We were talking about this tweet last night. Jason Kenney, Alberta's premier, meeting up with Jason Kenney of Virginia. Uh, people may remember he joined us. Uh, the American Jason Kenney did back on May 10th of 2021. If you want to see that interview, uh, this is the guy that is wrongfully or mistakenly tagged in uh, hundreds, if not thousands of tweets every year. Uh, vitriol aimed at Alberta's premier and some credit, some niceties. Well, the two Jason Kenneys met in Washington, D.C. last night and the premier posting from his account uh, on the left, Jason Kenny, the friendly guy from Virginia, who's been taking a lot of my heat on Twitter and on the right, me. It was great to host Jason at the Canadian embassy tonight. Uh, I saw even Premier Kenny's fiercest critics, uh, former NDP leader Brian Mason, one of them on Twitter saying, all right, we'll hand you this one. This th this was a media win. Uh, I'll be honest for me personally. I looked at that and I had to admit I liked it. You know why? Because it's Alberta's premier behaving like a normal human, uh, behaving like a diplomat, behaving like a, a proper representative of a proud jurisdiction. I went, I would like to see more of that. There's a lot of complicating factors that go into why I think people don't prefer Jason Kenney, why his likability factor is traditionally lower than some other politicians. But what do you make of an improvement in the premier's approval ratings over the past six months or so? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, you look, the premier's communication staff, you know, pull in much bigger paychecks than I do and provide a direct advice on this from day to day. So who, who am I to, to second guess? But I, I think folks wanted to see that type of Jason Kenney when they voted in 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 May, May 25th, May 2015, right? 20, 2019. Man, that pandemic's throwing my years off. In oh, May me 2019. too, man. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I right. barely know what year it is right now, Jared. When when they when they wanted when 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 they voted in 2019, our our polling and our focus group showed quite clearly that they want the premier to be a guardian of, of Alberta's interests on the national stage and on the international stage. Uh, and at that time, Albertans were in a pretty pissy mood, quite frankly. Um, and I've talked about this in in other venues, but if, you, if I had to sum up what Albertans were looking for in a premier. Back in in uh, in 2019, it was they were in the mood for a dick, right? They were in the mood for somebody who was as angry as they were that was going to stand up for Alberta's interests against Ottawa, but also on the international stage, and that's who they voted for. Now, there's a gendered element of that, absolutely. Uh, you know, Rachel Notley stood up for Alberta's interests as well, but she's not a dick, and I'm using that term deliberately because it was came up in our focus groups quite often, but because it does capture what they were in the mood for. The pandemic hits and, and the premier is thrust into a different role. They were looking, I think Albertans were looking for somewhat more empathy, right, as they navigated this crisis. And early on, the, the premier projected a persona. Remember that famous PowerPoint presentation that he gave early on in the in the campaign? Rick Bell called him Professor Kenny. That would that didn't seem to resonate. And now we see him starting to, you know, pick fights with with U.S. governors in some cases, glad handing with other you know U.S. politicians on this trip and then presenting this this moderate image, I think he's kind of all over the map when it comes to his public persona. And it'll be interesting to see how they sort this out if he does survive the leadership review and heads into the next provincial election. Who are they going to position Kenny as? Who is he going to be? Uh, is he going to be this nice guy that's 
you know, that, that it's going to take a mea culpa for all the mistakes that his government has made over the course of the pandemic. Not likely. Nobody would believe it. Well, well, no, uh, but no. Th- this is the thing. But but when it comes to caucus, man, I guess there's the public side of it. And then there's the caucus management side of it, because, uh, you know, he's not it's not as if he's going to sail through his next caucus meeting. Everybody's going to say, OK, well, it looks like you survived premier wall, bow down and we'll kiss the ring now. That's not likely to happen. Mm-hmm. So he's going to have to do one of two things. He's already signaled he's going to be cracking down with, on with party discipline and saying, I'm not going to put up with this dissent anymore. But there are a lot of people within the party that want him to be even more conciliatory and listening. And this is the kind of needle that they're going to have to thread. And I don't think, I certainly don't know who Jason Kenney is behind closed doors, but that image is going to come into conflict, I think, in many ways with the way that he's going to try to present himself in the next provincial election. Yeah, we, we had an, an interesting conversation with the strategists on Friday. They were our Real Talk Roundtable. And Zane Velge, uh, people can go back and listen to it on uh, Friday, the 13th Real Talk Roundtable. Uh, he says May 18th, like the release of the result. He goes, May 18th is just the beginning. He goes, that's not the end of anything. That's just the beginning. Um, Dr. Wesley, what do we know about the, you know, I mean, we want to break these down. People will uh, be interested to know. We, we sort of look at at the, the, the concept of the thirds, right? The pie split into three if you want to win an election in Alberta. You've essentially got to win two of the three. If you win Calgary and Edmonton, you can form government. If you win Calgary and the rural ridings, you can form government, et cetera, et cetera. And in the NDP's case, what was kind of remarkable in 2015, obviously, is that they basically swept Edmonton, won a bunch of rural ridings and made more inroads in Calgary than they had. Uh, People will want to look at this and say, with regards to the provincial election next year, when it comes to approval ratings or when it comes to those that are sympathetic to the premier governing through COVID, governing through an economic downturn, what do we know about their economic scenarios? What do we know about where they live? What can we read into the, the concept of those three pieces of the pie? Yeah, we've had we've had these surveys rolling out since November 2019, and, and I'm shocked every time we get the results back at how little variation there is between urban and rural folks when it comes to stuff like this. Really? Especially, yeah, um, when it comes to the premier's popularity, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to trying to pile on to the premier. I'm not saying anything that he and his staff don't know. He's universally unpopular. We, we can't find a demographic group in Alberta that has him above water. In other words, rates him more likable or more favorable than unfavorable or unlikable. All right. Um, I'd actually challenge this notion that there is a universal rural area, all of that said. Okay? Yeah. Um, what, we've, what we've done in our research is divide Alberta into health zones, right, uh, which should be familiar to most people over the course of the pandemic. And what we find is that the north, central and south zones are, are different when it comes to their support for the premier. Again, none of them favor the premier more than they disfavor the premier. But he seems to be most popular in the rural north than he is uh, in any other part of the, any other rural part of the province uh, and tends to be least popular in the South. And if I'm the conservatives, that's the most worrying part for me. And this isn't just in, you know, places like uh, Lethbridge where you expect there to be some rallying around the NDP flag, but it's also, we're starting to see, um, you know, leaks in the UCP ship in, in places like Medicine Hat. Um, And where are these voters going? A lot of them are indicating that they don't intend to vote in the next election. Or they say that they're willing to vote uh, for the Wild Rose Independence Party and in some cases switch to the New Democrats. 
So I, I'd be very careful to say that there's, you know, a rural strategy, one rural strategy that'll appear that'll appeal to all parts of the province. Cause I think it is, these are very different dynamics at play because you have very different personalities and people at play in these various dis- districts. I've got to be careful. I know you're, you're, you'll probably have red lights and red flags waving inside your brain as I explore this next idea, because I don't want to sort of take 300,000 people and group them all into one ideology mm-hmm. or let alone one industry. Uh, but I wonder if, you know, the idea that the premier's popularity is strongest in in the northern rural parts of the province. I'm thinking of natural gas, the oil sands jurisdictions, potentially some mining, maybe some forestry, a lot of industry that would see this premier's views or priorities as aligned with theirs. When you look at a lack of support in the southern rural regions, again, Mia culpa here, or maybe at least a caveat. I recognize that not every community is 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 a a so-called Bible Belt community, or or maybe more religious or libertarian or you know socially conservative riding. But you certainly see more of the pushback when it comes to the this government's uh, COVID restrictions, et cetera, coming out of Southern Alberta. A lot of the dissenting conservative MLAs are out of Southern Alberta, and it's not because they don't think that this government didn't do enough with COVID. It's that they think this government did too much. And you've got here inherently in the comparison of the North and the South and other observations we could make. The reality with Jason Kenney is that he's been fighting a war kind of on two fronts, right? You've got the so-called progressive or centrist, moderate conservatives uh, that don't like the leanings. They don't like the MLAs like Dan Williams attending the pro-life rallies. They don't like all the sort of more conservative, socially conservative stuff. And then you've got that entire other faction of the party, which is also important from an electability standpoint, to think that this guy's doing way too much, that he's not conservative enough. I mean, it's a tough line to walk for the premier of Alberta, let alone this guy. Yeah, and, and that's why the, the conservatives um, in 2019 were so successful is that they, they avoided those issues altogether, right? And they talked about nothing but uh, jobs, pipelines, and the economy. And that's exactly what, what the UCP will, will want to do in the next 12 months or so. I'd say they are, according to our surveys, a little softer when it comes to their ownership over the economic issues. So we measure issue ownership by asking people, first of all, what's your what's the most important issue to you in provincial politics? Then we follow up with which party do you trust most to handle that issue? And what we found is that the New Democrats have gradually chipped away at the Conservatives' ownership over the economy. The Conservatives were somewhere in the 60s or 70s range when we started these surveys in November of 2019. And the New Democrats are up somewhere near 40%. We'll have more details coming out um, on that study sometime next week. But uh, so I think that the Conservative approach will be to try to pivot back to talking about jobs and the economy and and the flip side of that, making people fearful about uh, the New Democrats taking over the economy again. Um, what I think is really interesting, though, Ryan, is that for the first time in um, you know very long time in Canada, we actually have two premiers that, that stand to be on the ballot in May, May 2023. Look at us. We're already assuming that Kenny's going to survive till that point. Let's assume that he does. It's a very weird uh, situation where uh, a sitting premier can't you know, conjure up you know, worries about something that's hypothetical. Albertans are actually going to have two records to balance here. The Notley government has a record that they were going to have to defend and perhaps promote, I'd argue, a little bit better than what they did in 2019. But Kenny's not going to be able to say, well, if they take over, then they might do this. They've already got a record. They've already proven this. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that campaign plays out. It's very rare in Canadian politics for us to see that happen. Most times, premiers just kind of run off into the into the sunset. 
Great stuff. Uh, I'm appreciative that you made time to talk to us ahead of the uh, review result. I mean, tomorrow's going to be what a day in Alberta. You've got the the release. Uh, I keep saying anticipated because crazier things have happened, right? The anticipated release of these results. And then you got the Battle of Alberta. Somebody described the former yesterday in our live chat as the battle for Alberta, which I thought was pretty interesting. <laughs> Dr. Jared Wesley, you can read the full results of their survey, uh, including insights into Premier Jason Kenney's popularity and the trends there at commongroundpolitics.ca. Always great to see your face, my man. Thanks for doing this. Take care, Ryan. You can let us know what you think about all this to talk at ryanjesperson.com. If, if, if your thoughts on this align more into a trash talk, and I wonder maybe you need to wait tomorrow to know how you feel about this, uh, you can always be in touch with us, our hashtag RealTalkRJ as well, one we're keeping an eye on. I'm not sure what I think is going to happen tomorrow. I think big picture, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jason Kenny's sticking around. I'm pretty sure that his team's been working hard behind the scenes to make sure that he wins this one, and that could mean a number of different things. Um, I'm expecting a rating. It's got to be something. I mean, I'm talking like it's almost pre-planned or pre-ordained, but Something they know will be palatable and believable, uh, but also will leave no question. So hmm, I'm throwing a dart a little bit here, but I'm going to say a 64.5% approval. Politicalbets.com. Politicalbets.com. Today's political bet sponsor is do not ever (laughs) wager any money on any prognostications you hear from me. Regarding what you might hear from Andrew Walker on The Hedge, different story. Yeah. And of course, you can... uh, We'll talk to Walks tomorrow morning, uh, teeing up the Battle of Albert. I look forward to that. You can check out what he's doing. Part of our Relay Media family at thehedgepod.com. That Jason Kenny's picture, uh, drawing mixed results from people. I, one of the it's things. It's just. Oh. Well, you know how it's a win for the Premier's comms team? It's a win because people typically that that just in knee jerk fashion want to immediately pile on Alberta's premier no matter what he says. They just can't stand the look of his face. Mm-hmm. There's those folks. Even a lot of them right now have to go. This one's pretty good. It, it, some, it is some bridge building, some diplomacy, some real life ness. I feel like for every 10 times Kenny tries to be funny on Twitter, though. Maybe one hit. And, and, and the thing, too, it's never him trying to be funny. It's his staff trying to be funny. But hey, we that's, got what, a good one today. that's what they're paid 200 grand a year to do. Right. Uh, CommonGroundPolitics.ca. That's where you can read the results of Dr. Jared Wesley's work with that collective. And they do a great job on it. Uh, coming up in about five minutes, we're going to talk to Globe and Mail feature writer Jana Pruden. Uh, this in the context of David Milgard's passing over the weekend. Sixty nine years of age, died. Uh, of pneumonia after a short fight says his family he did not have COVID so says his fa- I don't know why that matters but people are pointing that out Jana had an opportunity to meet with Mr. Milgard a feature that she wrote back in 2019 a powerful one uh, if you subscribe to the Globe and Mail like we do here at Real Talk we encourage you to read that Jana nobody writes quite like Jana uh, and she's going to give us some some insight into what it was like to sit down with David Milgard that's coming up If you're making your way out of town, if you're lucky enough to be, maybe you're blowing the dust off the golf clubs. Maybe you and the family have the SPF 50 and you're going to go get some sand between your toes. Maybe you're going to see family for the first time. Maybe you're going to go see your grandma for the first time in two and a half years. If you're flying out of Edmonton International Airport, I recommend personally that you park at Jet Set Parking. That's what we do when we hit the road. You can save money by booking online at least 24 hours in advance of your travel. And you can book all the way through to the end of 2022 right now with the promo code REALTALK. You'll park for $7 a day. $7 a day parking at the airport. It's never been easier. JetSetParking.com. The promo code REALTALK allows you to book your spot. It's simple. 
you pull in, you leave your vehicle there, shuttle takes you to the airport. When you get back, shuttle drops you back off at your car. You use the credit card you use to book your spot to exit the parking lot. You don't have to hang on to an extra ticket that gets lost in the baggage. Speaking from experience, jetsetparking.com. You'll love them. I guarantee it. Kubi Renewable Energy is given free quotes all the time. BC, Alberta, into Saskatchewan as well for solar installations. It's solar energy solutions to power your life. It's never been more affordable and solar's never been better with regards to its reliability, with regards to the battery storage. But the number one message Kubi wants us to deliver today, they're hiring, including for a lead structural engineer and multiple electrician positions. You can learn more. If you're looking for work, this could kickstart your career at kubienergy.ca. At St. Albert Dodge, they've got you covered not just on the sales side, not just with new vehicles, but pre-owned as well. And then, of course, the service department that continues to earn the accolades and the return business of clients through the years. A beautiful, relatively new dealership in St. Albert. And then, of course, a big Dodge dealership in Sherwood Park as well at Sherwood Dodge. You can shop them online, including getting approved now ahead of time before you go vehicle shopping so you know exactly what that perfect fit looks like. Wouldn't be surprised to see some people maybe getting into something a little more fuel efficient these days. You know, a lot of people right now at the pumps just going, are you kidding me? It's like $2 a liter. They've got everything you need covered, including the hybrid options, the four cylinders efficiency through the Dodge and Jeep lineups at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. And speaking of career opportunities, are you a, a healthcare aide? Are you a licensed practical nurse in LPN? Infinity Healthcare is hiring today. They're hiring right now because demand is increasing with regards to their home care services. You can learn more about their team and what they offer, where they provide healthcare services at infinity-8.ca. If you're a healthcare aide that would maybe find joy, find fulfillment in helping folks stay in their homes, age in place, You'd like to be responsible for monitoring their condition, providing personal services, helping teach families how to provide the best possible care they can. This could be a perfect fit for you at infinity-8.ca. We're proud to partner with Infinity Healthcare. Jana Pruden coming up in just a moment. Right now, we wanted to take a moment to review the results of our most recent question of the week. We call it Get Real. This is our survey conducted by our research and strategy partners uh, every week at Y Station. And in light of what's been going on, the U.S. Supreme Court and that that leaked document from Justice Samuel Alito talking about the future of that 1973 landmark decision, Roe v. Wade, we wanted to ask you what you think this impact might have in Canada, how Canadian access to abortion might be impacted. Thanks to the hundreds of you that responded, we can tell you that about a third of you, 35% of Real Talkers surveyed, believe the Roe v. Wade overturn would unquestionably affect the issue in Canada. Here's another interesting one. About one in five of you, 18% of Real Talkers, feel that men should have equal weight in policy decisions about reproductive rights of those who can become pregnant. Now, let me circle back on that and suggest that that also implies that about, you know, 82% of real talkers feel that men should not have equal weight in policy decisions about the reproductive rights. Uh, About one in four of you, 23% of real talkers surveyed feel the decision would have at least an incremental effect in Canada, despite what some politicians may insist. Here's another takeaway. The next target for American conservatives, uh, so say real talkers, 
almost four out of five of you, 77%, say that federal gay marriage legislation is next in the crosshairs for American conservatives. Now, one of the things I like most about these questions of the week and these surveys, and and you know this if you subscribe to our Patreon, because you receive the full top line reports, is is we ask you to fill in the blanks as well. If you want to click through and take two minutes to do the survey, that's perfect. But some of you want to put a little more time in. You want to leave extra comments. You want to have your say and maybe provide some details to maybe a more nuanced position that you've taken. And we wanted to get to some of those comments now. One of you said, you know, if if folks with sperm have a voice in this discussion, it should be to amplify the voices of those with a uterus. If folks with sperm have a role in this discussion, it is to support unconditionally folks with a uterus in whatever decision they make. And until folks with sperm are willing to accept 100% physical, financial, emotional, and mental responsibility for a child, they should not be at the table making these decisions. Another one of you said, only the media and the left keeps bringing up the abortion debate. Uh, Outside one candidate, uh, I'm assuming they're talking about Dr. Leslin Lewis, no one has any policies or talks about this. It's only used as a wedge issue. And this week's debate is proof that it will not be an issue, the debate on Fox. I don't think it's the media and the left bringing up the abortion debate. I think it's the leaked document out of the U.S. Supreme Court. Another one of you said men can't be excluded because of their physiology. Men need to be included in all aspects and most importantly need to learn. And another one of you said it's fucking ridiculous that this is even still a topic in 2022. Thanks to those of you that took that survey. As mentioned, our question of the week this week, a little lighter, a little more fun. We focus on the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. We're digging into this Battle of Alberta uh, experience that uh, everybody's bracing themselves for. We want to know where your loyalties are at, and you can take our question of the week survey. It takes two minutes by visiting the connect link at ryanjesperson.com. Our next guest is, uh, in my mind, one of the most talented feature writers in the country. Uh, She's joined us before to share her perspectives gleaned from sitting down with some of Canada's most notable newsmakers. And this one is no exception. Uh, Jana Pruden first uh, released this story in the Globe and Mail back in August of 2019 after sitting down with Canadian David Milgard. You know his story, wrongly imprisoned for 23 years for a rape and murder he did not commit. Janice Peace, the headline reading, this can happen to you. David Milgard works to help free other innocent people, even though it opens the wounds of his past. Jana joining us live this morning. Thank you for making time for us. It's nice to see you again. It's nice to see you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, you your reflection just a couple of days ago when Mr. Milgard's family announced his passing at age 69, Uh, from complications from pneumonia was that sitting down with him had made a great impact on your career. And it was notable to me because you've sat down with a lot of people with remarkable stories. How did this first come about? When did you first make contact with David Milgard? Yeah, I actually met David in uh, early May 2019. I was doing a panel at the, um, the Museum for Human Rights in Winnipeg. I was asked to do a CAJ panel that included David, um, or featured David, I guess, included the rest of us. And, um, you know, I 
was so struck by him, obviously, for a lot of Canadians, I think especially Canadians of certain ages that live on the prairies. Um, this was a story, I literally lived my whole life with his story in the background. And um, so it was very, um, you know, quite powerful to meet him in person and also to see how other people interacted with him. We were coming up at the time to the 50th anniversary um, of his arrest. And so I asked him if he would consider letting me come to his house and spending a few days with him to do uh, a really more in-depth feature of the kind, you know, he's had a lot of ink spilled on him over the years, um, but nothing uh, in the past decades that was quite as in-depth as I wanted to do. And so although he was a little bit um, unsure at first, he ultimately decided to let me come and we spent uh, two days together at his house in Cochrane. You know, people might expect that, uh, and and I want to approach this from a number of angles, just like you do. But a lot of people might expect that that someone that that received and and gosh, it sounds tacky to put it this way, but someone that was awarded compensatory damages uh, for a horrific, wrongful conviction to the tune of about wasn't it about ten million dollars that that if you were to visit them at their home outside Calgary, that it might be this sprawling estate overlooking the Rocky Mountains that that, that there may be a beautiful SUV parked out front that that he may have uh, have offered you some sort of fresh fruit platter as, as you walked in considering what the bank balance might look like but that certainly wasn't the case with Mr. Milgard. Life wasn't easy sailing, a smooth sailing after he was released from prison after he and his mother Joyce fought for that compensation. No, not at all. That money very quickly completely disappeared. Um, he gave much of it away. He gave some uh, a fair bit to his mother. Um, you know, he spent some himself. He was definitely taken advantage of and lost a large number or a large amount of it through various frauds and investments. And uh, I think people really taking advantage of him. So by the time we met, the money was long, long, long gone. Um, he was living extremely modestly. Uh, in his home. And that's one of the reasons that he continued to do talks like the CAJ talk and other advocacy work, um, you know, partly because he really cared about that issue, but also partly, be, and he told me this rather frankly, that he needed the money from honorariums and that he could get paid for speaking. Jana, you know, you you would, I think probably the average person would assume that someone who was arrested right at the, I mean, we, we talk about even the age, and I think his age when he first turned himself into police uh, in British Columbia, 16. I mean, just, just at the outset of what should have been these formative years, becoming a young man, becoming a young adult, and then released from prison, I think he was 39 when, when he was released, I mean, that, that someone... Uh, that had been wrongfully convicted, that had that had been perceived and probably treated like a rapist and a murderer. Certainly millions of people across the country saw him as that. You know, this young nursing aide, her, her, her body found in a snowbank. I mean, just a, a disgraceful and horrific circumstance that someone like David Milgard would be consumed with anger, with bitterness, obviously dealing with trauma after years and years of, of this experience. On that front... What did you pick up from him? Mm -hmm. One thing I want to note, that's not a photo from his arrest. That's a photo from later when he uh, was released briefly and went on the run and was ultimately recaptured. 
shot by the police in the in the um, that process. Um, the original picture of his arrest, he looks like a baby. He was 16 years old, um, and that picture is findable. It's findable in the the. Um, I think we ran it in the Globe and Mail feature at the time. And that photo is really striking to me because he looks like a child, which of course he was, um, charged with one of the most heinous offenses. It had been a very high profile case at the time, very disturbing case. And as you say, you know, the most serious charges and charges that even in a serious environment like prison are not um, treated very nicely as we all know. Um, there's a few things about David. One of the things that really struck me and that I've thought about a lot when I think about wrongful conviction, because there's this kind of question sometimes that people ask. Uh, we know that wrongfully convicted people do not do well in front of parole boards because they will not accept responsibility for what they did. And that was one question that came up about David through the years was, well, why wouldn't he have just told the parole board, okay, I did it and I'm sorry, just to get out. And then you could work on reversing it, you know, the conviction later once you were a free man. But he told me that one of the worst things was to, to think that people could have thought you capable of something so horrible, that that was such so devastating to the soul to imagine that people could look at you and think that you did that. And that's why he would never, he could have stayed in jail the rest of his life. And I think, you know, it's pretty clear to me anyway, that if um, Joyce hadn't been his mother, if Joyce hadn't been the formidable woman that she was, that he would have still been in prison. He would have spent the rest of his life in prison. Um, so, that, that was one thing that really struck me. And then the second thing was that even though he had lived this very hard, tough life, that he was very open, almost guileless, and, and in a lot of ways, very vulnerable, very trusting. I mean, to meet with a reporter after your whole life has been on the record, much of the reporting not great. I mean, some of it through the years uh, was wonderful. I went back and read literally hundreds and hundreds of news stories, um, you know, and, and some of them were quite bad <laughs> and or inaccurate. So to sit down with someone like myself for two days and really open up, um, you know, in these really deep ways about your life is not easy. And I think that spoke so much to him that even though he had endured this life that could make you very hostile, very angry. Um, he really worked to not be angry and he worked to still give himself to people. I mean, to me, one of the fundamental struggles of David's life is um, life post prison is that the way that he felt so called to help, which was around the wrongfully convicted was also the thing that hurt him so deeply. I know it was so hard for him to do that advocacy, and um, but yet he couldn't walk away from it. In fact, the last message, I, I got a message from David. We have stayed in touch um, all these years since I wrote that piece. And um, I had received a message from him just on Thursday. And his final message to me was around a wrongful conviction case that he's advocating for. And I know it was that was a truly a driving force in his life. Did he tell you, uh, did he spell it out to you why he agreed to sit down with you? to raise awareness um, of the wrongfully convicted and of the need for an independent review board, which was a real passion in his life. And that's one of the reasons why 
I'm agreeing to go on shows and talk about him is that I know that he would want me to keep plugging. Uh, you know, we need an ind independent review board. Now he would send me those messages sometimes now on caps um, and, and the plight of the wrongfully convicted because, um, you know, this is, he is arguably Canada's most famous wrongfully convicted person, um, but there are many others and there are people who are in custody right now who are um, where he was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, trying to plead their case. And um, that's where the independent review board comes in, something that could, um, a board that could look at cases independently and more quickly so that someone is not in prison for years and even decades before um, they may be found to have been not guilty. Yeah, to state the obvious, uh, I mean, it, it is a reminder that and, and I saw some commentary in our live chat yesterday on this uh, when we were discussing David Milgard, people saying, gosh, I'm glad that Canada doesn't have the death penalty. Gosh, this is a reminder why we need to talk about things like, you know, the American uh, perspective on capital punishment. It, it's not just a reminder, Janet, to state the obvious here that there are no doubt uh, people right now incarcerated for crimes they did not commit, which obviously points to the fact that there are people right now walking free uh, despite crimes they did commit. Um, I would imagine there was great sensitivity when you talked to Mr. Milgard about Larry Fisher, who ultimately was convicted with DNA evidence that in part, at least my understanding is, was provided by Mr. Milgard's mother, Joyce. Um, what was that conversation like? And, and what did you note about the impact that maybe Larry Fisher continued to have on David Milgard later in life? I mean, he hated to talk about Larry. He hated it. And um, even on the panel, I could see, you know, because that's a question that people go to and people are curious about and um, that that really hurt him. And I think, you know, he told me that he he just tried to not go to the angry place. Right. Like he that was a door he tried to keep closed and to focus on positive things of, you know, what he could do for other wrongfully convicted. Um, because I think if he had if he had truly opened that door and allowed himself to fully think about this person, you know, who actually did this terrible thing and was fine with David spending his entire life in prison for it, um, that well of anger would be too deep. You just, you know, um, David couldn't go there. And uh, yeah, he truly hated the 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 mention of his name. And you could see it, I could see it on during the panel, you know, when someone asked, like he would, he would immediately tense up. And um, I'm writing a piece for Saturday with some reflections about my uh, relationship with David. As I said, we did stay in touch um, and I got to know him quite well over the past few years. And um, that's one thing I, I won't even mention Larry's name in the piece. I don't think it belongs there in a piece about David's life. Yeah, wonderfully said. I, your, your tweet yesterday just hit us square between the eyes, a tweet a couple of days ago, in fact, uh, where you say, I will never forget and always be grateful for the days I spent with David Milgard writing this profile of him several years ago. His openness and vulnerability and his desire to help others was so profound. Did he have a, do you think, a clear grasp of 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 the the magnitude of his story and its impact on Canadians? I mean, yesterday I, I read some lyrics, some of Gord Downey's lyrics from the arguably, in my mind, the most beautiful, tragically hip song of all time, although tragically beautiful, perhaps fittingly, Wheat Kings. I mean, did, did David Milgard understand who he was to many Canadians? Yeah, 
I think he did. I mean, he was constantly touched by that after the profile came out and I sent him a number of emails that I had received and I know people were contacting him as well. And he was very moved that people still cared. Um, but that could be a double-edged sword too. I was just uh, going back and going through some of our interview at the time and there was a comment he made about you know how people would come to him um, every time he gave a talk or every second time someone would come to him and say, you know, I have, my son is wrongfully convicted, my brother is wrongfully convicted, can you help? And he felt, you know, even the way he said it to me was like, they're, they're coming to, to see David Milgard and, and to get David Milgard to help, but I'm only, I'm only a man and I, I, can't, I can't help. There's only so much I could do. And I know that that really tormented him uh, a great deal that he would have liked to help way more than than he possibly could. And, you know, he 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 did everything he could, but he was he had a lot of grief and a lot of things to work on himself. And also he had his children who were so important to him. Um, the greatest joy to him, you know, he told me that whenever he struggled, the thing that mattered most to him was his children. And um, so he didn't have an endless well to give. And I think his mother, you know, people, people remember Joyce, um, you know, I know she was like a thorn in the side <laughs> for a lot of people. I highly recommend her book. Um, I read it, she wrote it with Peter Edwards. I think it's called A Mother's Fight. Um, a truly a remarkable woman and truly relentless. And I think the two of them really did, um, you know, open the door for hopefully, uh, for many wrongful conviction cases that were reviewed to this point and, and hopefully better processes to deal with them in the future. Because as you know, I mean, it is an ongoing issue. You could look up the Talio case, which I've written about in BC. Philip Talio is still in custody. Uh, the Quaisant sisters, uh, Nerissa and Odelia, have a piece on that as well. And uh, David was extremely, extremely passionate about their case. Um, that was the final message he sent me on Thursday, just uh, two days before his death was about the Quaisant sisters. So um, these things do happen. And I think Canadians, I remember, you know, when I interviewed him for that profile, one of the things that that was he really wanted people to know, and I, I wrote that in the piece, David Milgard wants you to know this could happen to you. It could happen to someone in your family. It's not um, something that could only happen to him or the Quaisant sisters or Philip Talio. It could truly be anyone. And that's why everyone needs to be engaged in making sure that the right people go away for these crimes. Because to your point, I, I think sometimes I've encountered a feeling of, oh, well, you know, the a wrongfully convicted person must have done something. So, you know, it's not that big of a deal they're in prison. I've actually had people say that to me. And I mean, putting the outrageousness of that statement aside, the other part of it is there is a murderer out who didn't do anything. And we can see in the case of Larry Fisher, how much damage he did between the time that David Milgard was arrested for the crime he committed and then the decades later when Larry Fisher was finally identified, how many lives were completely altered by his attacks on them in that period. And, so, and what it, obviously what an indictment of the justice system, starting with yeah. what was described as, as a lazy and completely irresponsible police investigation, a police force that was being maligned at the time and facing a whole bunch of pressure for other issues uh, that was seeking a quick arrest and, a, and, and obviously a conviction in, in this brutal killing. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you look at there's, um, you know, some things that really lay the groundwork for wrongful convictions, including very high profile, very disturbing, very emotional cases, a desire to have them solved because they haven't been, you know, someone hasn't been arrested immediately. Um, sometimes certain types of vulnerable outsiders who could be um, uh, seen as the offender, you know, every every single box when you read about wrongful convictions was present in this case. And, um, you know, as I as I said before, if it wasn't for Joyce, I think the whole country knows if it wasn't for Joyce, um, this conviction never would have been overturned. There was no desire to review it. Even after she started pushing and brought forward new evidence, it still took decades hmm. um, until the truth came out. Yeah. Joyce Milgard's book, by the way, out in 1999, if people want to look it up, A Mother's Story, The Fight to Free My Son, David, written uh, Joyce Milgard with Peter Edwards. Uh, Janet, just I don't know if the detail matters or not, but when David Milgard texted you on Thursday, did he know? I mean, was he texting you as a, hey, I'm sick, I'm not sure what's up? Or do you think this was even on his radar? It sounded like this passing was was rather sudden. My understanding is that he became extremely ill um, actually on Saturday. So, and I'm not, I'm not privy to all of the details, but my understanding is that it was very quick. Uh, certainly nothing in the messages he sent me that week had anything to do with being sick. And I had spoken to him, you know, quite recently as well. And, um, you know, he did have some health issues. Uh, spending 20 years in custody is not great for one's health. Um, but he, yeah, he wasn't sick as far as I knew whatsoever. So it was when I found out on Sunday, it was truly, truly a shock and, and very, very upsetting to be yeah. honest. Um, can I say, I'm sorry for your loss. I know that people might suggest, Oh, she's a professional. She's a journalist. She's a storyteller. This is what she does. But I feel like I've known you for a long time. I've spoken with you about feature pieces you've written on several occasions. And this one, I can even tell uh, Mr. Milgard certainly resonated with you in a different way. Yeah, yeah, he really did. And thank you. I mean, I, I consider it, you know, the country's loss in a lot of ways that his his story is the country's tragedy and his sadness is the country's sadness and, and the loss of him is our is all of our loss. And I really do hope and again, you know, if he's up there somewhere, he would definitely want me to be plugging this. But, um, you know, I do hope that his legacy ends up being a change in the way that wrongfully convicted people can have their cases handled and reviewed. And also some, you know, uh, thoughtfulness all the way through the process. There's ways that even well-intentioned, even the most well-intentioned, and in fact, sometimes, uh, yeah, truly the most well-intentioned police and prosecutors um, can make really terrible mistakes. And I think um, that's one of the things that people don't always understand about um, wrongful conviction. They think it's a malicious, a malicious kind of prosecution, which of course can happen. But in a lot of cases, um, there are mistakes, there's cognitive biases, there's things that can contribute to wrongful conviction and being aware of them and making sure there's safeguards in place so that uh, police and prosecutors don't get caught in tunnel vision situation, for instance, um, are ways that we can really helpfully keep investigations from veering off on on the wrong path, as they did in this case. Jana Pruden is uh, an immensely talented feature writer for The Globe and Mail. Can I also give a, a shout out to photographer Todd Coral, who supplied us with uh, many of the images that our YouTube viewers will have seen or will see through the course of this interview. What a storyteller uh, Todd is. 
through that lens. Jana, thanks for taking the time to reflect on your experience with David Milgard and to remind us about where the focus should be uh, following the news of his passing. It's good to see you again. Thank you. Great to see you. It was a pleasure to be on the show. You can follow Jana on Twitter at Jana underscore Pruden. And of course, her piece in the Globe and Mail published back in August of 2019. This can happen to you. Interesting to hear Janet talking about the, the the impact, and it may be implied, it may feel kind of obvious, but the the long term impact that that twenty three years of imprisonment. Let, I mean, the arrest, right? I mean, the 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 warrant being issued. David Milgard, sixteen years of age, turns himself in in BC, and then he's convicted. He's jailed. Uh, you can imagine everything that goes along with that. As a matter of fact, most of us can't imagine everything that goes along with that. And then the release, and then you're David Milgard. Like Janice said, then people are going to come to you like, David, we saw what your mom Joyce could do. We saw what you were able to do, mm-hmm. right? You're David Milgard. We need your help. And you'd think, not to speak for David Milgard, I never had a chance to meet him nor interview him, but you're like, I'm just, you know, in a circumstance like this, I'm just trying to make it through every day, Yeah, man, you know? And I, I think of people that I've interviewed, I think of a woman by the name of Sherry Arsenault. Her son was uh, with his friends, killed instantly by a drunk driver, Mm. rear-ended their vehicle going 200 kilometers an hour, obliterated the vehicle. Her son was instantly killed, and she has been a fierce advocate uh, for impaired driving uh, crackdown in Canada on the legislative front. I think of my personal friends, uh, the Wack family, the Joseph family, and others that lost their sons, and a family that lost their daughter in the Humboldt Broncos bus crash, and and now the work that they're doing with regards to training for for class one drivers across the country. You think of other families who, who've, who've lost someone who've experienced something. And then all of a sudden and, and many times they find purpose and they and they find direction and, and, and it's their way of honoring the person or the people that they have loved and lost. But they become advocates and they become activists and they become people that drive conversations across the country. But that comes with its own exhaustion. Right. You're, you're constantly in the public eye. People are calling your family for interviews anytime that an item comes back up in the news. You know, when when Jaskaret Singh Sandhu, the, the driver who pleaded guilty with all those charges in the Humboldt Broncos bus crash. And to be clear, I'm not comparing a rape and murder to a horrific motor vehicle accident. I'm talking about the weight that survivors carry and the weight that families carry. But when the news surfaced that, you know, how do people feel about Mr. Uh, Jaskaret Singh Sandhu, you know, being deported from Canada or staying in Canada? And then everybody wants to talk to the Humboldt Broncos families. Right. And I talked to Chris Joseph and he said to me off the air in a private conversation, I, I said, are you OK to talk about this a little bit? He said, it's obviously not my favorite thing to talk about. He goes, but I'll talk about it. It's important to these families. I can't imagine the weight that they carry, the trauma that they live with, and let alone David Milgard, who experienced his incarceration firsthand. So in the context of wrongful imprisonment or wrongful conviction or true justice in Canada, who does everybody want the interview with? David Milgard. Alicia says, I can't imagine this happening to one of my children. What a life Mr. Milgard had. You imagine walking a mile in the shoes of Joyce Milgard. Your son uh, painted as uh, and then convicted as a rapist and a murderer when he was innocent the entire time. 
Sharon says so many are still incarcerated unjustly in this country. Many are indigenous. Tony says, sadly, wrongful convictions still happen in Canada. Curious to know your thoughts on this as the nation mourns the loss of David Milgard, who died over the weekend at 69 years of age from pneumonia. Friesen Brothers knows that you're going to be looking to heat up the grill this summer and maybe the smoker too. And I want to remind you that they've got some great smoker faves in their, of course, their fresh butcher shop, right? Alberta beef, Alberta pork, Alberta chicken. You can talk to their in-store butcher anytime. They love the conversations. They love doing custom projects. You want a certain cut to really Knock your visitor's socks off. Talk to your butcher at your local Friesen Brothers. Plus, garden season finally here. They've got great gift ideas. Ways you can brighten up your garden, including baskets, planters, seeds, and vegetable plants. Johnny, that's the trick you want to do. You want to pick up your vegetable. You saw me perk up, eh? Yeah, well, you know, you go in there, you find a tomato plant that's already almost reaching maturity, or at least it's well on its way, and and then you just transplant it to your yard. You look like you know what you've been doing the entire time. That is my modus operandi. Friesen Brothers has you covered. (laughs) We're going to have people coming over to our place this summer. I'll go ahead and grab a couple of vegetable plants from Friesen Brothers two hours before. They're beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Right from seeds. How how do you make them look so good? Unfortunately, I can't tell you. Well, okay, I can. (laughs) Friesen.com. Local environmental is keeping it local across the prairies, Alberta, Saskatchewan in particular, but constantly reaching new communities with the services, including vacuum trucks, fencing, portable toilets, water hauling. Most importantly, if you're a small, medium or big business that knows you could do better on the deal with your waste and recycling management, local would love to compete for your business. You can request a quote today online at localenvironmental.ca. And don't forget, every Friday, Trash Talk, presented by Local Environmental. You can send us your email anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Speaking of vegetable gardens, you know a lot of people are doing the vegetable planting boxes. Love them. This is a lot of people are, are, are doing the, the raised planters. Have you mm-hmm. seen that? It seems like a trend yeah. the last few years. Eden Landscaping can help integrate these into your yard design And they can get them all done so you don't have to do the heavy lifting. Why break your back? Provide your vision to Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping, and they'll do the rest. You can view the services they provide, the portfolio, including some beautiful customer testimonials at landscapeedmonton.ca. Tis the season to get in touch with Eden Landscaping. Our friends at Park Power know I was talking about filling up your vehicle with gas. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people are looking at 150, 200 bucks now to fill it. They're, they're looking, where can we save money? How about internet, electricity, and natural gas? You're like, yeah, utilities have been all over the map. Well, not with the fixed rates that Park Power offers. You can find the rate that's right for you with electricity, natural gas, and internet at parkpower.ca. And if you bundle your utilities, you'll save even more. The promo code 2022-REALTALK gets you $70 off your first bill. And I know that you know that we're going to be celebrating the DQ Blizzards today, including their limited edition summer lineup. You are going to love, I guarantee, the new all-star summer blizzard treat lineup, including Girl Scout Thin Mints and the classic summer staple Cotton Candy Blizzard. You can find these blizzards at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. That's Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. I can't. Every single morning we torture ourselves by staring at these photos of the blizzard lineup. And then I go 
smash two dilly we're going to start doing blizzard brunch which is going to be probably the best direction that we take this show in. Can I ask you though, how much how much did it cost to fill up yesterday for you? Oh man, it's a little. You it, want me to say it? No, I just know it's one hundred eighty six dollars. Yeah, one hundred eighty six dollars. The time we're living in, and that's uh, I. I don't have time. Just I didn't know you were going to ask me that, so I don't have time to scroll back in my phone. But but my wife Carrie texted me uh, just a couple of days ago. We text a lot, so mm. I'll have to scroll, scroll, scroll back. But uh, she let me know how much it cost to fill up the vehicle that she's driving too, and uh, <laughs> it was a lot. Astronomical. Mm, yeah, it was like it was like one hundred eighty bucks. So so what's that? It's like three hundred and seventy bucks all mm-hmm. in for the family to fill up two tanks of gas. I'm trying to save like 20 bucks. I'm going to Costco. I'm sitting in line for three hours. Yeah. Is that not, uh, not three hours? That's a, a lot of people, a lot of Costco members. And we are a Costco member. Thanks to our amazing parents. They've gifted us that. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't use the Costco membership enough. I don't either. I think because I still, and I know this is going to, this is going to get a bunch of people. We're going to start getting emails about <laughs> Costco because it seems to be one of those things that people are really yeah. bullish about. Like we went and bought like this isn't an ad for Costco, by the way, not at all. But when I think of Costco, I think of five liter jugs of mustard. Yeah. And I and I sort of think, I don't know if that's really my jam, but people that love it seem to love it. We went and bought organic raspberries at the grocery store the other day. It was like six ninety nine for a little. Yeah. And then we went to Costco and got gas and just walked in. We're like, oh, my God, this is eight times the raspberries for like 10 bucks. (laughs) Yeah. It's just. Yeah. We really need to utilize it more. Well, I think that, you know, if people are going to be spending, you know, $1.85 to $2.10, depending on, on, you know, whether or not your vehicle requires premium or depending on whatever the case may be, you know, the size of your fuel tank, et cetera, et cetera. Um, people's summer plans are going to change. This is not a joke. Huge. Like if you if you start going, well, we're going to road trip to you know Sylvan, where Sylvan or a Soyuz, or we're you know we're going to make our way to the to the family farm in Manitoba, and then all of a sudden you're going, that's going to be four Phillips on the way there, four Phillips on the way back, I don't and, get and paid then all of a sudden that's fifteen hundred bucks. How do I get to work Monday? Right, like, people you know. people will be making decisions. I was talking about St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge uh, earlier. I wouldn't be surprised to see some people going. Do I really need? you know, 400 horsepower, right? So people are going to start looking at the, I mean, I think of, I'm not going to turn this into another ad read, Yeah. but uh, you know, you've got the, the Jeep Wrangler four by E as an example. All of a sudden you might have people like off-road enthusiasts going, why don't I look into an EV? Yeah. Because the EV lineup starting to grow or people might start looking at when's the last time, you know, you, you went from an SUV back into a car. People are going to go, maybe I'm, I'm four cylinder is a better fit sure. for me. People are going to make lifestyle decisions how many fewer people are going to be pulling their trailers this summer? A hundred percent. And I don't know the numbers, but I'm seeing more EVs on the road. I saw a guy, and I won't mention his name, who I know is a car salesman who's pushing like SUVs and trucks all the time. And I saw on his Instagram in the background, he's driving an EV now. <laughs> so I was like, what's happening here? Well, and, and pretty soon everybody's going to be driving EVs. Yeah. Wyatt, our son, he's six. I, t- I told you about the conversations we've had before yesterday again. And I love this. I, I think it's his grade one teacher who we adore. Uh, I think it's his grade one teacher that's having these conversations with him, which is mm. good. That's that's what they should be doing. Let me be clear. But Wyatt says to me yesterday, I'm driving him to one of his extracurricular activities. And he says to me, Dad, I wish we were riding our bikes. And I said, how I said, how come? And he said, because of the exhaust coming out of the truck. Oh, my. Right. And, and I went, ooh. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, kiddo. I said, by the time that you're driving, right, 
I said, by the time you're driving, the whole thing is going to be a different deal. Yeah. The whole conversation is going to be different. He's six. We're talking 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's going to be, I, I, you look at EVs right now, they're across the spectrum. You've got four by fours, you've got the big SUVs. Yeah. you got the pickup trucks coming out, the EVs. And, and he says to me in response, he goes, yeah, I don't want to drive. And I'm like, this is a whole new generation. I mean, he's six. He'll figure it out. It's going to change the world. Maybe he'll change the world. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, everybody, I know this is on a lot of people's radars. You can let us know. We always, we're always curious to know. We obviously, this is a show that wants to reflect where the audience is at. We want to have real talk. Are you changing your summer plans? Are you adjusting uh, what you're thinking you might do to, to get out in the great outdoors or to visit your friends over the next number of months? And how much of that has to do with cost, the cost factor? I wish I had, I could scroll back in our live chat. I don't know if I could find it, but way earlier in the show, I, I, I made a comment about uh, Premier Kenny and, and his, his efforts to, you know, to sort of like bump up his popularity and, and sort of get Albertans to maybe you know, give him a fighting chance to survive this leadership review. And I saw a great comment. I think it was from Gilles that was talking about gas. Here it is. Found it. Gilles said, I, I said something about the 14% or the 14 cent a liter, rather mm-hmm. the gas tax, the province of Alberta, you know, relaxing or, or failing to, not failing, um, putting a cap on stopping why am i having a hard time finding the words they're not collecting the gas tax and they haven't been for the past number of weeks they say they're trying to provide and they are trying to provide some relief to consumers at the pumps now i also have a different theory on this well and and does it screw the province over right when it comes to revenues (laughs) yeah so but 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 this is a better year for for alberta and alberta's not looking at these big gaping you know big uh, double digit in the billions deficits and so maybe the province can afford to do it right now but 14 cents a liter I mean, it's a buck eighty six when I filled up yesterday. It would have yeah. been two bucks. Yeah. So it does make a difference. But Jill had this interesting take, and it's worth considering. He said the suspension of the Alberta gas tax incentivizes gas companies to keep prices high. They lose profits when they decrease prices and have to start paying the tax again. So that's mm-hmm. also an important point from Gilles. Uh, we always appreciate your contributions to the program, uh, to the Real Talkers who tune in, as we say, either live or later. You can hit us up on the hashtag as well. Every Tuesday, our friends at Leading Edge Physio give us a chance to focus on something innovative, something or someone that's been a real game changer in their field. We call it the Leading Edge. And in the spotlight this week is the Alter G Treadmill. It was initially developed for the International Space Station by NASA in an attempt to hold astronauts down to the treadmill, allowing them to exercise in space. Well, they're now using it in NHL locker rooms. The Edmonton Oilers have one and at Leading Edge Physio as well. Check this out. Life shouldn't hurt with Grant Fedorik. Hello, friends. Today, we're going to talk about ways to get people moving in a pain-free environment much sooner than they otherwise would be able to. And this is the Alter-G Zero Gravity Treadmill, originally designed by NASA. When someone arrives to use our Alter-G, they'll put on a pair of our specialized neoprene shorts, step up onto the treadmill, raise the air compartment supports, and zipper in. The Alter-G will calibrate, and once they provide their weight, the machine will inflate to exert positive air pressure across the lower body. When enclosed in the Alter-G's environment, we can reduce the amount of weight on the lower body by as much as 80%. This allows for exercise and movement without the compressive forces that often cause pain and abnormal function. It's like exercising on the moon. So if you've undergone surgery, have pain or an injury to your ankle, knee, hip, or lower back, and you want to get moving, you might want to do your own moonwalk. (laughs) 
Nice, nice job, Grant. That's Grant Fedorik of Leading Edge Physio. So from NASA application, NASA, from NASA application to Leading Edge Physio, the Alter G is literally transforming treatment for people in stroke rehabilitation, people dealing with Parkinson's and people with post-polio syndrome. That's why the Alter G treadmill is on the leading edge. Presented by Leading Edge Physio, life shouldn't hurt. Coming up a little bit later on in this week, we're going to turn our attention to international stories affecting Canadians. But of course, the majority of our coverage tomorrow and into Thursday will be on that leadership review. The United Conservative Party's review, members review of Premier Jason Kenney. Plus tomorrow, Andrew Walker, host of The Hedge, will join us to tee up the Battle of Alberta. Make sure you sign up for the Real Talk Golf Classic if you haven't already at ryanjesperson.com. Just click on the events link and you'll find it there. It goes Thursday, June 23rd at the ranch in support of the Real Talk Julie Rohr Scholarship. Thanks for tuning in today, friends. We'll talk to you again tomorrow right here on Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, technical producer John Hicks, managing director Josh Dunford, account coordinator Lawrence Sterlego, general manager Katie Cook-Chivers, website design Mike Johnston, voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.